So I ended up with this kind of like mutated hot topic, like emo course. What's up, fool? That's my dog. Yeah, that fool calmed down. And then I told that fool, I said, stalk yourself forever, ever. No, bro. Really sorry for saying bro. Hey, come on, it's fear mongering. I ain't no clown. It's all fake. I know what you're up to. Alright, maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a fool. fool. Talk Full Radio. Yeah. Oh, what's up? This is Stephen Lee Clark. This is a brand new episode of Talk Full Radio. And uh, let me tell you something. It's a beautiful day, right? Uh, let me tell you why. Because I'm here. I'm sitting down. You guys are there, right? And I'm talking to you, okay? So every time we talk, it's a fucking wonderful thing. And I feel good about it. You guys should feel good about it. It's a wonderful day. Um, well, today, uh, I'm coming to you from beautiful Los Angeles, okay? Uh, it's been a while. Actually, it's only been a few months since I moved across the island, right, to New York. But uh, let me tell you something. I got here. Uh, I really miss LA. It's a beautiful, wonderful place. Um, I instantly landed and started sweating because it's hot as fuck, right? And my only problem that I had with LA was uh, it's pretty much like living on the surface of the sun, right? It's fucking always hot here. And I remember I got here when I moved here, I moved here in January and I was like, uh, this is chill. This isn't that bad. And then March hit and it was fucking hot as fuck for nine months. Right? Uh, so it was a little intense and now I'm back and now I'm sweaty as fuck. So one of the first things that I did, I had, to, okay, I had to do two things as soon as I got here. Right? Well, first off it is, the wonderful angel boy known as Michael Sachs. It's his birthday, okay? And a lot of you know me, and a lot of you know Mikey, and he is a beautiful collective being of light, right? And positivity. So I had to go hang out with Mikey, of course, because he's a wonderful prince. And on the prince's birthday, I just had to go say hi. I had to give him a hug. So I'm gonna tell him on here, it's actually his birthday today. So I'm gonna say, I love you, Mikey, HBD, okay? Mine brother, all right? but. The other thing I had to do, as soon as I got to LA, I touched down, right, and I got in the cab, and I said, look, fool, take me to a fucking acai bowl, okay, because they're amazing here. They don't have them in New York. They have them, but you know what they are? They're liquid dog shit, right? They suck. I don't really understand why. Anyways, LA's great. Uh, we all know that I love it. I miss it, uh, and I'll be back here soon, okay? So, why am I in LA? Okay, I'll tell you why. Yesterday, we played a fucking Portland show, and now we're here, and we're going out on the road with a small underground metal band. They're like kind of DIY. They're called Slipknot, okay? I'm freaking out. I love that band. I'm sure you've heard me talk about how much I love that band on this show, so it's kind of a stepping point for me. There's nothing more for me to do in life, so I'm just going to dip. But anyway, so what have I been up to? We got a really good interview today with a really interesting human being named Jim Pelly, and let me tell you something. I'm very excited about it. When I started Talkful Radio uh, a little over a year ago, right, which is crazy, we didn't do anything special for the year anniversary, right, because you know what? It was a little on and off. It was hard to get in my schedule, right? But next year, shit. And we have, like, I looked it up the last uh, episode we put out. I just was curious, and I looked it up, and it's 2.6 million listeners, okay? So next time, it's next anniversary, 
We're gonna have a huge party. Uh, I've been looking into venues. The only, the biggest one I can find is a 1.2 million cap room. So it's a cool bar. It's in New York. I'm gonna fly everybody out. We're all gonna kick it, okay? Uh, that was a really long, dumb joke. But anyways, when I started this podcast, right? What did I, what did I start it for? Okay, I started it because, and all this applies today because I really like this interview. Okay, so. I started it with like the thought of like, okay, when I was young, I wanted to do whatever. I wanted to be a musician, but I didn't know anybody that did that. Nobody, right? I didn't have any friends, right? Like I had one friend that listened to cool shit and like he didn't make music and he had no desire to, right? So I was kind of just like stranded on this island and not because I have beautiful island blood. Like I felt like I was stranded on an island with no creativity whatsoever, right? So now that I'm kind of like in this world, I thought like a year and a year and a half ago, I was like, dude, okay, if I could have something where I interview these people, right? And ask them about their story. And, and, and if one kid is out there, if one human is listening, one young like human is listening to this podcast and like, oh, that's what I wasn't thinking of. That's what I was forgetting. Like, this is what I need to do. And they do it, right? Then we won. We all won here, right? We're fucking taking this beautiful gift of information and we're packaging it up and we're sending it out to the youth. And you know what? I don't even mean the youth because I don't mean the youth by like, you haven't even traveled around the sun that many times. I just mean everybody, right? So you can be fucking 45 and decide to start doing this never too late. Just do whatever the fuck you want. You should do absolutely whatever you want, right? When my sister turned 18, I told her, I was like, I never give people advice, right? Ever, ever. But I'm going to give you advice, right? And it's two rules. And there's two rules I want you to live by. I want you to live by travel, right? See the planet Earth, okay? And do whatever you want. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's easy. So as we all know, information is a forest fire that can spread, right? And, and as it should, right? And so, and, and the main enemy in life is people that try to, uh, to limit the spread of information, right? I don't know, the high power elites. I don't know, the media. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that. But today... As we know, every forest fire, even the information ones, start with a spark, right? And today's spark, today's informational spark is Jen Pelly. And Jen Pelly's cool as fuck. And she has a crazy, and she's a, she's a spark on many more levels, and I talk about it. It's cool that she has an idea, she has an opinion, and she is able to manifest it into this reality. I don't know about other ones. I haven't been there, but this reality, and then it spreads like fucking crazy, right? It's this fucking superpower. It's so cool. So anyways, Jen Pelly's the spark that set me aflame, and then I'm packaging that flame, and I'm sending it out to you guys, right? Okay, this is a long explanation about everything that we already know, right? So Again, I want to keep this uh, the the front end of this today short, so uh, we can concentrate on Jen Pelly's interview because it's really informative, it's really cool. But there is something I do want to tell you what I've been up to, right? So it's been a couple weeks since I've talked to you, and one thing that I really fucking enjoyed and I really want to put out there is Basilica, Basilica Soundscape, right? So as you know, me Stephen Lee Clark, uh, festivals are pretty much the opposite of Stephen Lee Clark, right? Stephen Lee Clark, uh, 
hangs out by himself every single day, doesn't really have any friends, right? Festivals, fucking 72,000 people that are all hammered and, and, and running around in fucking little, like, little animal costumes and shit, all right? But uh, there is, on in upstate New York, there is a festival called Basilica Soundscape, right? And let me tell you, I went to it. We played it a couple years ago, and it's beautiful, dude. It's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, experience all around. And it's put up, okay, obviously it's fun. Obviously the lineup is always fucking good because it's put on by our good friend Brandon Stosi and Brian Duran, right? And everything they touch uh, is cool and like fun as fuck. And I don't know how they do it. I wish I could do that. I'm just sitting here fucking screaming at you guys. I don't even know why. And just hoping that you guys like it. But those fools know exactly what they're doing. And it's so fucking fun. This year was what? Let's see. Wolves in the Throne Room. Amazing. They were so good. And and I mainly saw their, like, I like watched their, I watched their whole sound check. And I was like, dude, this is fucking mind-blowing. And a little-known fact that I had no idea, because I'm not in any sort of loop, was that the guitar player is from a little band called Follow the Bastards. And I fucking love that band, right? Uh, it, this is weird, but whenever I DJ, I always play Follow the Bastards because they have endless good shit. I fucking love that band so much. Anyways, I'm getting off track. But yeah, Wolves in the Throne Room played. Youth Code played. Angel Olsen played. Fucking uh, Explosion in the Sky played. Like, that's it's, it's crazy. And so Basilica is amazing because... It's really small for a festival. So as an artist, you go there and it's this like really welcoming, hospitable, not too fucking crazy environment. And it's really fucking fun. And there's more to life than fucking having fun, right? And if you ask me, like I never have fun. I've never had fun in my life. I've never laughed. I've never had fun. Uh, I don't know what it's like. But he also has like very informative like uh, talks with people and I think it's really cool that uh, I mean every every festival I've ever been to is like let's take fucking Molly and let's run around and fucking blah 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 like fall face down in the mud right and that's fun that's what fun is that's why I don't like fun right um, but yeah there's like pauses and where he also like we say he takes somebody's spark of information and fucking sends it out and lights the fucking world on fire right in a good way um, so I thought it was amazing. Basilica is super cool. It's in this place called Hudson, New York. It's like upstate amidst the most beautiful woods. And, uh, oh yeah. And speaking of beautiful, it's in, I, I want to say a basilica, but I don't, it's not really a basilica. It's a fucking big empty factory, right? And it's fucking so cool. And the factory is owned by these two people, Melissa and Tony. And there, it's just, it's just a wonderful place to hold such an event and it's like an inspirational beautiful uh big empty warehouse and they have amazing music inside and it's super cool if you're ever there uh if you're ever anywhere on the east coast and you see basilicas coming up you should fucking go it's not even that expensive it's fucking fun as fuck um and i'll probably be there because i'm gonna go for the rest of my life so again i do want to keep this in this in short but i have to remind you guys that over at talkforradio.com, you can now pick up the cool as fuck coffee mugs, right? I really like how they came out. Thank you to Cody. Thank you to Sarah from Youth Code for helping with the design, right? And, and it's a really, 
great way to spread the flame of information like oh like like you're drinking coffee and someone's like damn that cup's sick as fuck like that's fucking cool as fuck what is that oh i'll tell you what it is it's the best podcast in the world you probably already know about it because he has 2.6 million listeners that's a lot of people you probably already know about it but just in case you don't i'm gonna let you know this is how you fucking this is how you access the information this is how you tap the information superhighway right uh, talk4radio.com and a couple other things that are new on talk4radio.com. You can go to it and, and there's a donation button and now there's little things set up where you can pick five, you can pick 10, you can pick fucking $60,000 if you want to donate that much. There's also a little subscription. So a couple bucks a month, doesn't matter. Anything helps. And as I've said before, right, if you donate to talkforradio.com, we don't have advertising here. We are supported solely by the people. And who are the people? That's you. That's me, right? And uh, if you donate, you are literally a producer of talkforradio.com. And you will be in the show notes. You will be mentioned at the end of the podcast. And that's a legit credential, right? You can put on your fucking LinkedIn, okay? I think I have a LinkedIn. And that's cool as fuck because you feel like really business, right? And it feels good to feel like that sometimes. So, yeah, you can put that. It's a legit credential. I will back it up with the credits, with the mention at the end of the show. And also, it's just a really cool thing to do because you're helping this podcast become a reality, so you can go to talkforradio.com, you can donate, you can buy a coffee mug. And the other thing about the coffee mug is that if you share online, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, with the hashtag talkforradio, right, I'm going to look that hashtag up two times a month and I'm going to send somebody a free fucking mug, right? Because it's a good way to spread the information. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, you can go to TuneIn, and you can fucking download. You can subscribe and download. And please, by all means, download, 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 because the High Power Elite, that's what they look at. They're going to look at our podcast and be like, damn, this motherfucker is getting 40,000 downloads uh, in a day, and uh, he's got something going here. He's got a little talk full uh, hegemony I don't even know if that's how you say it, but he's got a little uh, army going and it's spreading, okay? So anyways, that's all the business. I really appreciate all the people that bought a mug, all the people that are donating. You guys are fucking killing it, okay? Cool. So I've known Jen Pelly for a couple years now, and uh, honestly, the first time we hung out, we really hit it off, and we started talking about a lot of cool shit. She leads a very interesting life to me and i've always wondered how that side of the music world works right and as as you'll hear in the podcast like what she does is like it's like a fucking superpower right she thinks something she channels that thought and brings it into reality and then it gets fucking projected into fucking thousands of people's minds right it's fucking crazy and she does a really good job of it she's really good at what she does and I really appreciate her, man. She's really a fucking cool person. I think she's very interesting, and she's led a really, she's had a really cool path to getting here. And that sort of thing is always inspiring to someone like me. So I really hope you enjoy our interview, our interview, right, with Jen Pelly. Here we go.
Jen Pelly. Okay. Uh, what's up? How are you doing? What's up, Steven? Uh, this is cool because uh, I think we, we talked about it. I like to have, I mean, I know a million musicians, you know, and mm. like blah, blah, blah. But it's super cool uh, to have someone from, I don't, I don't, it's just me, but I think of the music world as like kind of split in half. So there's like mm. musicians and artists and not split in half like opposing but then the other side is what you do and it's and you aid in getting these you're like a crucial part in getting to getting certain bands or music or whatever anything at all like out to this more broad audience Mm -hmm. and I think it's cool I've always looked at it like yeah there's like publications like blah 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 but also like certain writers gain this following you know and it's cool for people that like check in on on what you're doing and what you are listening to what blah 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 you know right so i think that's really cool uh i i personally there's like people that i really enjoy reading their articles and like i think it's it's a fine line it's like you are really like people take your opinion it's your job to like express your opinion it's true. That's that's what I make my livelihood on at this point. Yeah, which is so cool. And I think it's like it's a. It's really important. B. It's like a big responsibility to me. Like I wouldn't be able to do that. Like because I don't like to like put people down, and I don't like not that anybody does that. But I mean, like for me, I ha- I would just be like, oh, I don't like this, and now I have to write about how I don't like it, and I would like freak out. I don't know much like of the inner workings of your world but in my mind I would just be like fuck I don't know what to do you know it is an enormous responsibility it's actually it's interesting to hear you say like there being the divide of musicians and then like other folks on the other side because I think honestly for a really long time um you know it's common for bands to be like I don't want to be a part of the music industry but personally like as a writer a journalist and a critic for a really long time when people would tell me you're part of the music industry I would say no I'm not yeah. and I, I kind of don't feel like I am like I definitely have always thought of myself as being a writer first um, that seems actually it seems pretty natural I think a lot of writers feel that way um, like for a lot of my life I, I not a lot of my life but definitely when I was younger at times I thought maybe I would be more of a generalist and I would write about things other than music too um, naturally um, I gravitated towards music writing um, at, at a fairly young age, but um, yeah, that divide, that divide is like it's interesting because I think that writers are more like artists than a lot of people realize, and I don't mean they're like musicians, but the mentality of being a writer is um, similar to that. Uh, absolutely, artist, I absolutely, you I know? absolutely agree, yeah. and like it all comes back like art is the act of creating and like you are creating these like really well packaged like opinions basically and I think that's and I mean yeah if you weren't a writer first you'd be just like the rest of us that's just like yeah I really like this or I really don't (laughs) like this and it's all about like the packaging and I I don't know I think it's really cool and I agree like I've always thought that like writing especially for me like I grew up reading a lot of like really pretty like romantic literature when I was a kid and Mm -hmm. I was like this is so amazing and that absolutely like translates 
or transfers into like our world and your world of writing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've read, I've read reviews that are just like you know, words vomited on 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 a screen. <laughs> but I've read reviews that I was just like, oh my god, this is like really wonderful too, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, I I think, I I mean I I. I don't mean to like say it like these two opposing forces. I just mean it's more of like a symbiotic like relationship. There's two things that help each other out and and I mean on a good day help each other out. <laughs> you know, and like stuff like that. But Even when reviews are negative, I would say they're still helping out. I think you're right actually. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a for sure. It's just any it's like that, you know, bad press or or whatever is better than none. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a very interesting relationship too. I personally have like gone back and forth in that in that like mindset like man, I don't want to be a part of this, but like I've also um it's weird for me to talk about like that mindset because I've never had anything but good things come from that world for me, you know. Right. So, it does feel a little silly for me to sit here and be like, yeah, there was a time when I really didn't want to touch that world but also like you know I want to like make I there was a time where I I really decided like hey I want to make this like my career I want to do blah 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 so whatever it's a it's just an it's more than anything it's just interesting to me yeah I feel like my discovery of music journalism when I was really little is almost similar to a kid deciding to become a musician because like I decided that I wanted to be a music writer when I was, like, 13. That's um, so crazy to me. And, yeah, I, I, I actually, that, that's probably a little rare. Like, a lot of my friends who are music writers didn't decide that early on that that's what they wanted to do. I think a lot of people, when they're young, they don't even realize that it's, like, a viable yeah, career I option. Didn't at all. Yeah, I Because it's it's not a viable career <laughs> unless you're crazy. Um, yeah. Or, I'm sorry, unless you're uh, very self, self-disciplined. self um. It really is. It really <laughs> is. that part out, please. Did you... So, it, it definitely does seem, like, similar, like, the um, decision-making process to, like, decide to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, when I fully decided like okay I want to be a musician like I want to make this like a career mm-hmm. um it was really one thing it was like I'm gonna sacrifice comfort for mm-hmm. like indefinitely you know yeah and for me I, I remember the moment like distinctly just sitting there like okay I really want to do this I'm capable guy so if I want to go to college and and decide to like slide into a career somehow like whatever I'll be able to do it but right. I want to be like happy and so I'm probably going to like sleep on floors you know <laughs> and like and like not have money for a really long time and just try to be happy was there is there any like similarities to you did you ever like did you go through like did you like picture your future in this field and what it would like what the results would be or what side effects would you would affect you well I think like the idea of being a writer is just as kind of um it's as unlikely as being a musician you know totally. like it's something that if you decide you want to do it you basically either you have like family connections or something and yeah. that's how you get a job and that happens for a lot of people or you just pursue it relentlessly because you can't imagine doing anything else and you literally um, pour pour yourself into it which is I think honestly what I did 
from the time I was a teenager, um, just kind of was like, this is, I'm going to, it's not kind of, it's not really deciding on a career. It's kind of like deciding on like, this is your life. Basically. Yeah. What just, and what makes so you happy? I kind of, I feel like, I think I've heard like Grimes say this in an interview once too, maybe or someone that it's kind of like, if you just like think of yourself as like, this is what I am and you just do it. Um, if you do it with like enough conviction and like, you just, push hard enough you'll like will yourself into doing it kind of I totally agree (laughs) I also think it was for me it was like not I always say this but I don't mean it like it was like what else am I gonna do Mm -hmm. but it's like I for me it was like to be happy Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying like I I enjoy the struggles of writing something and hating it and fixing it and liking it for like 10 minutes and then Mm -hmm. like hating it but for it's like I always use the, I know you hate sports, but I always use the analogy, like, I don't even like baseball, but I used to say, like, Barry Bonds is really a legend at baseball because he enjoyed hitting home runs. Not that, like, it make him, it was, like, fun for him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I love, I feel like, uh, as a writer, uh, like, I think about this a lot lately because I write things that are, like, very short form, and I write things that are, I'm working on something that's, like, very long form, Mm -hmm. but, like, the joy of putting together a sentence or a paragraph that you feel like says exactly what you want to say or that you write and you're just like, oh, damn. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Like, I actually feel like I conveyed something. <laughs> well, that makes um, me... That kind of is like, you know, that, that to me, like, the, feel, the feeling of, like, writing a sentence or a paragraph or even thinking of the right word for something is really like hard to describe totally i agree <laughs> i really i really enjoy that and that's why i was really into literature when i was young i was, I was like look at sentences and just be like that's a great sentence like mm-hmm. that's a really wonderful one somewhere i have like just a bunch of them written out like from books that i really enjoy mm-hmm. that makes me think so like I, I read your article about uh uh sleep to dream Okay, right. yeah. I like I love Fiona Apple too. She's great. She's We've my talked favorite. about her before. Yeah, yeah. She's great. But one thing that struck me about your writing is so I it's it's a little difficult because I know you. So mm-hmm. like when one thing was like when I'm reading your writing, it does feel like it's coming from you and I recognize what you're saying. Or or I just, maybe it's because I just know you and I put a uh, like a a visual to your writing. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I was like, I, I absolutely loved it. It was like this perfect balance. Uh, so there was there was like a couple sentences I really liked. And like, again, like vocab, like vocabulary that I really mm-hmm. liked. And it was like, what was it? It was Fiona por- uh, performed an act of insurrection upon my teenage life. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, this was like a young feminist awakening of tectonic proportions. Right. But mm-hmm. what got me was four lines above that. It was all caps, like GTFO, get the <laughs> fuck out, you know? And I was like, dude, this is perfect. Like, especially for like what you do, you know, you, mm-hmm. You, this is, it's perfect. It's almost like I appreciated it because you're like, anybody can relate to like, get the fuck out. Like, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Especially people of like our age and younger and like, just like 
or not even age, just like a certain uh, pocket of the world that pays attention to certain things. Mm -hmm. But then you're also like pushing a little bit like, okay, this is what, like while you're reading this, like get the fuck out, you need to understand these, like why these like uh, words are being used and why, you know, it's just a spectrum. Yeah. And you kind of walk this like balance like really well. Is, and I was wondering, yes. to me, it was like, is that something that you consciously do? Like, do you, because you work for Pitchfork or, and, and, and you have, you're like aiming for a certain audience or is it just some, is it like Jen, it just comes out as Jen, you know? That, yeah, that, that article in particular, um, I was like so excited that I, I got to write because Fiona Apple is probably my favorite songwriter of all time and I've been listening to her since I was a teenager so I've lived with her music for so long that's awesome and that's so rare like especially working at a place like Pitchfork where we cover new music um so like pointedly um to get to write about something where like I had never written about Fiona Apple in such a personal way and I've been listening to her music like I said since I was like 15 um and so yeah well, in terms of, like, the language that you're talking about, like, I knew this article was going to be really heavy because mm-hmm. um, there's no other way for it to, to be. Like, I think that my, um, my like, love of Fiona Apple is connected a lot to, like, how much I hated myself as a teenager. And I talk about that in the article, and there's, like, no way for me to ignore that if I'm going to write something personal especially about the song sleep to dream so I knew like I'm like not a funny writer and I'm Mm. I don't try to be really like I'm not a comedian and I think a lot of music writers are hilarious and do that so well um but I you know so when when I'm writing about something that's really heavy I feel like I have to have these lighter moments where wherever I can see them fit and so GTFO, it's like, okay, I can have that there. Just like a moment of relief among a very, like, heavy piece. And I don't usually write in the first person or write things that are personal. So that was, I was really um, stressed out about um, doing that. But I just didn't think that there was any other way, really, to, to, like, talk about that song and have it be completely, like, accurate and truthful and honest. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty, uh, that was a rare one for me, and I'm so glad I got to do it. Yeah, yeah. Does it, like, um, I know it's, uh, so, was there a lot of times in, because I know you have worked your way up and you've had to do a lot of different stuff, but, like, do you feel it often? Do you feel, like, lucky to write about a certain artist, or, like, does it, like, when you write about someone you care about, does it change up, like, the process of what you're doing at all? Or is that, like... I mean, I guess that seems kind of, like, obvious. I feel, like, lucky every single day, honestly. <laughs> like, I feel so lucky to get to do what I do. Um, and any... I mean, most... I'm, I'm, I'm also, like, I'm an editor by day, so I'm editing people's writing a lot of the time. Um, and that kind of gives me the freedom to be more particular about the things that I write about. So often when I write about something, it's because I really care about it um, or I feel particularly invested in it. Whereas if I were full-time writing, I might have more like album review assignments where um, the level of personal investment was slightly less. Yeah, (laughs) Or I would still, you know, 
just be doing it. Um, but so, yeah, um, uh, there's like, a, I feel like the, I, I feel like when I'm writing about an artist like Fiona Apple or like I, a couple of years ago, I did this huge like retrospective like piece on Sleater Kinney. Like it's so heavy to me. Yeah. Like, because this is like my life, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast probably like this, this is like serious, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like this is everything, like the music of your life. Yeah. This is a big deal. So I feel like that heaviness often, like, I, like I, I'm sure most music writers would say this, but it's like that is just like so present. Like, yeah, totally. It like really charges what you do, I think. Um, and I think about that a lot too in terms of like history because a lot of the artists that I am most interested in writing about have been um, in terms of um, like feminist punk, for example, which is a huge interest of mine mm-hmm. have been historically like written out of things. And so having the opportunity to kind of like bring things back into this, to the conversation is like so exciting and also really heavy. And yeah, so it's, like, it's a huge deal. It's, huge. Yeah, it's like, right? <laughs> it's like without your like love of this certain thing in this case, feminist punk, it wouldn't exist to a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? Or, or, or just in a lesser like volume because mm. people read your stuff and people like get to like read what you care about and that's super cool. That I think that's really great. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Can you give me just like a little uh outline of like your path to where you are today? Like you grew up in Long Long Island, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you knew you wanted to be a writer at thirteen. You told me once that you and your sister were, like, really ambitious when you were young. Yeah. Like, how did you get here? Like, what were some of those, like, ambitious things that you just tackled? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And stuff like that. Yeah, sometimes sometimes when I think about how um, ambitious, like, I was when I was, like, 16, it kind of freaks me out because I'm like, where was that coming from? Um, sometimes, like, I don't know. But um, I think that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, when I was 16, I was just like, I don't care about anything at all. Like, I just listened to music and, like, smoked a bunch of weed and was, like, the opposite of ambitious, you know? That's so cool. I think, well, okay, so I decided I wanted to be a writer when I was five. Um, Mm -hmm. I was at, I was in Girl Scouts um, my whole life from kindergarten to 12th grade, and then I worked at Girl Scouts after, but that's another story. But so, anyway, I was at a Daisy's meeting when I was, like, five. So this is, like, 1994 or something, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um... Uh, like sitting on the floor and this woman came into our Girl Scouts meeting to read us a book she had written which was like a children's picture book about these um, anthropomorphic soap bubbles like these soap bubbles that talk and they hang out on a rainbow my mom actually told me recently that she found the book which I thought was really cool because I haven't seen it in years but anyway this woman was reading to us from this book and I thought it was so mind-blowing to me that she had, like, created this story where, like, this thing existed that she had, like, willed into existence, this whole universe of this book. And yeah. so, like, I was, I was like, okay, I want to be a writer. And I just, like, decided there. And honestly, like, I never considered doing anything else, like, from that That's day so on. Really. Like, I always, I just kind of, like, knew I, I wanted to be a writer. And... Like, it was because of that Girl Scouts meeting, and I I feel like it's really important. Like, I, I, I often think, like, 
what if like I hadn't that hadn't happened would I have (laughs) if the woman with the soap bubbles book hadn't been there (laughs) but but so then okay so I was like I want to be a writer I didn't really like know exactly like what that meant but it was just always in, in my head and I wrote when I was in elementary school I would like write um things down um books like in notebooks okay so then when I got to middle school um I grew well so I grew up on Long Island and there was a really active um kind of uh emo pop punk uh post hardcore scene kind of like in the wake of things like brand new and taking back Sunday which Mm. in turn were in the wake of like a 90s hardcore scene on Long Island and so I ended up with this kind of like mutated hot topic like emo core scene (laughs) which changed my life uh shouts out to lauren ross my friend from middle school who introduced me to all of this music when we were in like seventh eighth grade because without her i definitely would not be doing what i'm doing isn't that cool though isn't that cool to like to like recognize like a turning point and it's like a text same thing with me i've talked about this on the podcast it's crazy right Yeah, yeah those things that will just kind of like you know, it's like, this is it. It's like a turning point. Absolutely. Like we turned a corner right here yeah. <laughs> with the Ataris for me anyway. Like yeah, that was like cool. this band that my friend told me to listen to. And up until that moment, I mean, I, I listened to, um, when I was in elementary school, like mostly music that was on the radio, but I took dance class like the whole time I was growing up. So I was really into like Destiny's Child and TLC and like Black with the Q. Yeah, and, that's tight. Um, stuff like that because we would listen to that in like jazz and hip hop dance class. Like I, th- I think the first CD I ever asked my parents to buy for me, like they had bought me like the Spice Girls and stuff just because that's what you would buy for your six-year-old daughter or whatever. Yeah. But I remember calling my dad on the phone and like asking him to buy me the TLC No Scrubs single because my mom wouldn't buy it for me because there was like an explicit content warning yeah. so I just like <laughs> called my dad and asked him to buy it for me and he did yeah <laughs> <laughs> he got it from like That's the funny. virgin mega store in the city or something but anyway so like then I kind of had this like realization one day I was hanging out at Tower Records on Long Island in like seventh or eighth grade uh, on Sunrise Highway in Massapequa and saw a copy of Alternative Press mm-hmm. um, and realized that people wrote about music oh my god what a concept like I know I'm going to be a writer yeah, <laughs> and that's great. all this music stuff's blowing my mind so <laughs> I kind of uh at that moment was like this is I think what I'm going to do and so then kind of um you know there were some twists and turns like along the way um like I started writing for um the school newspaper when I was in 10th grade and started writing for my local alt weekly which is like the long island press when i was um in 11th grade Mm -hmm. and so really like started just going for it like pretty young but there was a point where i was like super you know i was like okay music journalism this is crazy this is so cool um where i felt like really alienated by the music scene on long island and and kind of like thought maybe I wanted to be a fashion journalist instead and kind of pursued that, pursued that for a couple of years because it didn't seem like music journalism or music and the music scene I was surrounded by was like very welcoming of, of women. And so I think having that experience of feeling like music journalism doesn't have space for me, I'm going to be into fashion journalism and then going 
realizing that that was fucked up. Dude. Kind of, like, super, uh, just, I, I feel like I, I got into feminism or I was aware of feminism um, when I was, like, 18. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of just made me pursue it, like, even harder. Like, Because yeah, I was, that. like... I was like, this is what I wanted to do when I was little, and something happened that made me feel like I couldn't do it, and and now I'm realizing, like at age 18, that that was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of like went back to it with this, just like even like e- like burning to do it even more, kind of because of that, um, which is a convoluted way of saying that when I was 18, I was like, okay, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do, and I started, I got. Um, by the time by the time I entered college, I had just been writing for for anyone who would let me. Basically, like all these random publications on, on Long Island and just like um, magazines and a lot of like magazines that were particularly for college students. Um, and so I got an internship at Rolling Stone the summer after freshman year of college, and kind of that set me on my way. But I mean, I feel like. The thing there is that when I decided it was what I wanted to do, I really wrote for anyone who would let me. Like, I just kind of was very active trying to find places that I could write for, um, emailing anyone. Like, there were some music papers on Long Island at that point, or I would go into the city and I'd go to record stores and I would just take, like, all the newspapers that they were giving out for free Mm -hmm. and kind of, like, write to these people. And, yeah, just basically, like, threw myself into it. That's so cool. And I kind of feel like that's what you have to do if you want to be a writer at any stage. You know, you don't have to start doing it when you're 16. That's, I think, probably kind of unusual. Um, but I feel like the only way to really do, and not just kind of like in a, um, in a technical sense, like I'm going to write for all these places, but you have to also kind of like invest like in your brain, (laughs) um, which is obviously the other, like being a writer, it's so, it's such a lucky thing to get to do because you're constantly learning and it's like this constant education. Um, that makes sense. Um, Dude, what's crazy to me is that it is, like, if one person listened to this podcast and was like, okay, you were doing it and you didn't really feel, like, welcome as a woman in Long Island, <laughs> and so you, like, moved in this thing, and then one day you're like, man, fuck that. You know, like, that. then I'm, no, that's not okay, and you just did it. Like, if one person is like, yeah, fuck that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a cool thing. That's yeah, great. I think so. I mean, I feel like there's always... Like, music journalism will always... Did you feel still that? needs more women. Did, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you feel that, though? Like, when going from, like, that feeling in, like, the music scene in Long Island to, like, fashion, where it feels like it's this whole different sort of, like... Like... What? Exploitation of, like, women. It fucked know? me up, yeah, because, I mean... It, it kind of, like, fucked with my mind because I was like, okay, like... I don't think that this this thing I wanted to do was as welcoming or whatever. But then I got, you know, I was pursuing fashion journalism for a couple of years and um, found that it was also, like, not a great place for, like, the the environment of, like, I, I interned at a couple of fashion magazines, like, briefly um, at, in late high school and found that they were kind of, like, 
not great places for a young woman to be either. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. I remember going in to intern at this one fashion magazine, and on the first day, one of the editors was like, do you eat lunch? As if I would say maybe say no to that question. Yeah. Um, because if you do, like, I could tell you some places to go. Like, most of us, like, don't eat lunch. And I was like, at the time, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have to, whatever. I, I just, in retrospect, I think about that all the time. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, whatever. My little sister is an aspiring stylist and she's one of, you know, she's like my hero. She's so inspiring to me and um, she's like killing it. But I just didn't personally like have that great yeah. of an experience. Well, um, I have to ask you because I'm so interested in this, but like writing a book, you're writing mm-hmm. a book right now. Okay. Which is so fucking cool to me. Thanks. And it's something that I definitely want to do in my life sometime. But, like, how's it, like, how is it, like, what's your, A, what's your process? B, is it, this is the first book you've written, right? Yeah. Okay, so is it, like, is it more than you thought it would be? Is it, like, fuck, yeah. (laughs) Like, what's it like? Like, tell me, like, just describe a little bit. You don't have to go too in in Mm. depth or anything, but just, like, what is the the process like and what's it doing to you like yeah. is it yeah well writing a book while working a full-time job is really hard Crazy. yeah and I'm not sure I would recommend it to anyone yeah but <laughs> at the same time there's no way I would have realized that unless I did it exactly and I care so much about um what I'm writing about that it's easy to forget how how wild it is yeah, to totally. do those things at the same time. But I've been working on it for like two and a half years. I started it, um, or I found out that I had, um, that I was going to do it in spring 2014. So um, I was 24 then and I'm 27 now. Those years, I feel like just even if you're not working on a massive project like this, are kind of like, you know, you change a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So... So they've been crazy years outside of that. And, um, yeah, I I feel like the story that I'm writing basically hasn't been told before. So when I went into it, I pitched the book to the series. And when when the pitch was accepted, like, there was no way for me to know the full extent of the story before I actually started investigating it and interviewing people and digging up things in archives that had never been digitized and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's been like a huge learning process for me in that sense that there are just parts of the story, which I'm writing about a band called The Raincoats, who are like um, a British punk band, post-punk band that existed from 77 to 84 in their original um, like incarnation and then reunited in the early 90s. And... So they are um, basically like the first self-described feminist punk band, and yeah. So it, it's been it's been really um, the the book has like changed a lot from what I originally thought it was going to be, just because I've learned so much from the process of doing it. Um, learned so much about writing a book or about the subjects themselves, oh, or um, both. Like okay. yeah, the. Definitely the the material. Um, just I don't think I don't think anyone. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff here that I think no one knew yeah. because I had to ask them about it. And yeah. um, 
there were things that I asked them and they were like, no one's ever asked us that before, you know? So stuff like that. Um, but yeah, writing a book also, I mean, I'm really excited to hopefully write another book after because I do feel like I learned like what that actually means. Yeah, it's just through experience. Yeah, yeah, Um, I really want to write another book after I'm probably going to need to like take like a breather after I finish this one. Um, but I really want to do another one at some point. How, so, um, I, you know, I always use these like funny, like, uh, like these cliche sayings and, and I use them as jokes, but when it comes to writing a book, right. And, and I've started a book, I've, I started a a fiction book like years ago and I realized I've talked about this before. I, I was like working on these characters and for me, it's like not it, it was it was hard, but I had a formula because I, I really, you know, I was basing a lot of it naturally off like one of my, my actually, not one, my favorite book I've ever read. It like mm-hmm. kind of mixed with my own personal experiences. But I realized that, okay, like a year and a half has passed and I'm still working on this and I just need to start, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and the I hardest, think that's like the most important part. I mean, it seems totally. like... totally. One of, like probably the most important part like it's interesting because like I'm writing obviously nonfiction but um like the story that I'm telling I think is like populated by amazing characters like all yeah. of the people who were involved with making the record I'm writing about the band's first record their self-titled debut from 1979 and just all the people who were involved are so interesting that um I feel like making sure that I was explaining that in like the most like evocative way possible was really important to me and I spent a lot of time kind of interviewing everyone and being like I I spent a lot of time on on that part of it (laughs) do you feel like this sense of like uh responsibility towards these people that you convey their story in a certain way or is that like is it like heavy to think about that to you and do you just try not to think about it or like how does that factor in um in in, in like in a sense because no one's ever written a book about them before and i think they've been like seriously overlooked and I, Mm -hmm. i think people haven't i mean so so partially but the book is like mostly about like the record itself it's part Uh, of the 33 and a third series so each book is about a specific record so a lot of it is kind of like just, you know, I mean, mo- the bulk of it is kind of just diving into the songs. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I try to like not think about that too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it seems like something that would be there naturally, but it yeah. also seems like something that it's it doesn't help anything, you know. It's definitely heavy. Like, I think that writing history is like heavy. Um, yeah. And anytime I've ever written anything that is like historical where it, is contributing something that has been overlooked i think that it's really heavy for sure yeah that's i mean that's cool when you and the first feeling i got when you said that like nobody's ever written a book about them before and uh they've been seriously i was like overlooked i my first thought was like oh so they're probably just stoked and they're not like worried about like you putting them in any sort of bad light or anything i mean i'm definitely really lucky like the band has been really generous with their time. They they've That's done cool. tons of interviews with me, and they've made themselves very available for follow ups and stuff. And they also gave me access to, like, their huge archive of, like, 
newspaper clippings and photos and video footage and um, stuff like that, which has been amazing. <laughs> um, like going back and reading all of the early press that the Raincoats got in the British Music Weeklies was um, really, really um, like enlightening. I mean, in some ways, like like some of the stuff people wrote about them in the 70s was um, really unbelievable um, in terms of how like, like, um, unbelievably sexist some of it was, but also how like hyperbolic some of it was. It just kind of seems like, um, in that period of like, um, the, 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 so in, in, in like London in 1979, there were four major music newspapers that came out like weekly basically. And so there's a ton of writing on new music. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was by kind of, um, like amateur music writers or like people who, um, weren't, yeah, weren't necessarily like professionals. Anyway, some, there's so much crazy stuff written about the raincoats. <laughs> were they, were the raincoats a part of that whole, um, like crass and poison girls scene? Did they like cross paths a lot? I, I asked them that actually, and they said that. So I guess Rough Trade distributed some of the crass stuff, so uh-huh. they would like um, go to get records to like sell at the store and stuff. Because two members of the Raincoats, um, Anna the sing- singer and guitarist, and Shirley, who was kind of their like collaborator and manager, mm-hmm. is um, worked at for Rough Trade the oh, shop. Okay. And so they would go get records to, like, sell at the store. But, yeah, I was wondering about that, too, with Poison Girls. And I actually, before, she knew she passed away this year, but I actually yeah, I emailed V Subversa, and we exchanged Whoa. emails about the raincoats. That's so fucking Yeah, I, I, when she responded, I, like, it was, like, it, it was, it was, I was, like, oh, my God, V Subversa answered yeah. my email. <laughs> I would feel the same way, like, Whoa, but you know, she basically crazy. like like there was not very much like camaraderie among female musicians. It wasn't like you know Riot Girl where all the all the girls were like sticking together. Interesting. Um, like the Raincoats were very much like on, on their own in that sense. Like they had like um, they had peers, but they weren't like playing with a lot of like other bands that had women's in them, women in them. So yeah, they didn't really like play with poison girls or anything like huh. that. Um, Bummer. Yeah. That's so, yeah. That, I mean that whole yeah. time, like that's what I think about. Uh-huh. And that's like, I mean, really crazy. The, the general response, I emailed so many women who were playing like punk and post-punk, um, in like in and around London at that time to be like, to get their thoughts on the raincoats and so many of them were like you know i liked the raincoats music and i had so much respect for them but we just you know we just never really crossed paths i had one, i had that auto shape tape it was great blah, blah, blah. but like you know a, a lot of people so yeah visa versus said that um una baines from um the fall said that like a lot a lot of people um oh i emailed steph petticoat and she was kind of just like same thing like a lot you know there there wasn't that that's like the impression that I've gotten anyway. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we do have in common and you're talking about interviewing, uh, these bands, they made themselves like readily available. That's really cool. What's your like, and it's something you do. And to be honest, uh, I was a little nervous about interviewing someone who interviews people for a living. Yeah. I'm not usually like on this side of the equation. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so what is, 
like what's your interviewing like style or preparation style like for yeah. you? Do you like dive super hard into it? Do massive research or do you try to like just free flow things and like Oh yeah, when I when I do interviews, I do tons of research. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely do a ton of research and I feel like like I love interviewing. It's definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite part mm-hmm. of what I do. Um and I actually like before I worked at Pitchfork, I think, yeah, I had, like, mostly done reporting. Um, definitely done more, like, reporting than criticism, and mm-hmm. which is, like, funny because Pitchfork is mostly known for its... Yeah. Or, or best known for its reviews. But, so, um, I definitely do tons of research. And um, I feel like that is really important. It helps totally. you um, kind of get to, like, the next level yeah. of a conversation with someone. Um and uh, I th- I have, like, certain tactics that I'm kind of, like, I don't know if I should say them because... Oh, feel free. Like, don't... They're, like, I, just, like, they're, you know, I have, like, certain, like, interviewing tactics kind of, you know, um, not saying too much after you ask a question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. Um, but, I, you know, I think, like... Uh, Someone said to me once, like, or recently, like, oh, it seems like people are just more comfortable with you, so they, like, say things. And I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I try to just, like, you know... Let them talk. Like, there's, you know, there's this book, like, that everyone who goes to journalism school reads called, like, The Journalist and the Murderer, which is all about how, like, as a journalist, like, you're always deceiving someone. You're always... Like, you're basically, like, you're always deceiving someone. And so, like, by, like, I try to kind of, like, I don't know. Um, you try to, like, make the person forget that you're a journalist, basically. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, you're, like, you're just talking. See, I, when I, I knew I wanted to start a podcast, and I was, like, dude, I'm going to have to interview people. And, like, I've never <laughs> done that before. And I was, like. A couple things, like, one, I cheated a little bit, and I've still yet to interview somebody that I absolutely don't know. Uh Like, I've done a couple people that I, like, don't know well, but we've always had some sort of, like, tie that, like, we could talk about. But also, the thing that really struck me after, like, it, it, it wasn't that long either. After, like, five episodes or something... I found out that, like, this side effect of learning these, like, super interesting, like, lives, like, paths to, like, what these people do was, like, this super cool thing that I didn't know that I would really enjoy, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm still (laughs) a little worried, like, a little worried about, like, when I do someone I just don't know at all, Uh but... I want to do that. Like, I got to make myself do it. Like, yeah, it's good to like be challenged. Like even sometimes like, like obviously it's, it's really like exciting and gratifying to like interview a person who's really articulate, who's really intelligent, who, you know, is going to talk to you for an hour and Mm -hmm. it's going to be easy and like educational and you're going to have a great time. But then it's also like for me anyway, there have been a couple of instances where I've been like, okay, I know that person's going to be, like, miserable. But, you know, it's, like, good to challenge yourself. Yeah. Like, with, like, a person <laughs> who you know is, like, not, like, a great interview subject who is going to, like, um, make you really work to have a good conversation. And so there have been a couple of instances where I've gone into 
interview scenarios where I'm like, okay, I know this person is like dry as fuck, like because mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but you know, it's a good challenge. Yeah. Um, and that's not exactly what you're talking about, but I feel like you know. No, um, it's something I'm gonna have to yeah. deal with one day, and I'm and I'm actually I did deal with that one time. But yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's really for me, it's really hard to be that person that like brings it back, you know, to mm-hmm. like help facilitate this like interesting conversation mm-hmm. and I I've tried and I've had just one time just like wow I can't I can't do this at all <laughs> you know but yeah, yeah so I kind of like another thing this meant a lot to me it's kind of silly what I mean not silly but like a lot of people talk about it but in your um I read in one of your articles about, uh, like, 2015 and the punk that, like, meant the most to you or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. 2015 and punk. Um, and one thing you said was, like, punk is a perennial force, like a, like a rainstorm that pummels away the heat wave. Music needs it, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, th- that's so cool. Because, okay, again, everybody talks about this. But, like... For me, like, when I entered into this punk scene, it was the first time in my life that I felt, A, confident, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the first time, I realized it was the first time in my life that I felt, like, a lot less cynical. And I wasn't, like, skeptical of everybody I met. And I was just, (laughs) like, I just felt comfortable. And I felt like... Uh, it just gave me a bunch of confidence and stuff. And I know that that, like, a lot of people feel that way. Um, and it seems like from this, that article and that, like, intro that, like, it did a lot of stuff for you, too. What, like, what are some of those things? Like, why do you feel so partial to punk? And, like, what has it done? Like, has it, has it helped you along your way and, like, stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a fan, like, it's interesting. I, sometimes, I feel like I'm always kind of, like, going back and forth about whether I, like, consider myself a part of the punk scene or just kind of mm-hmm. a fan of it. Like, because uh, pe- people ask me, people have asked me about that in the past, too. Because, um, like, I book a show once in a while, but but not really. Like, I mostly just go to shows and listen to records and kind of observe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I mean... It's an, it's an interesting question because I wrote that essay because last year, especially, it felt like there were just these really important punk bands, Gloss and Downtown Boys, mm-hmm. that like I, I needed, I felt like I needed to talk about or someone needed to talk about. Like, the year couldn't end without acknowledging like two really important punk bands emerged mm-hmm. this year. Um, to me, downtown boys and gloss like you can't i mean obviously time time will tell but like the records that they put out last year to me are some of the most powerful punk records i've ever heard i listen to that gloss demo like a lot yeah i have it over there on my on my shelf um and so um seeing those bands play and like it just it felt like um it felt like um, par- like there was like a paradigm shift or something where I was like these this is like important to document basically and especially like there's something to be said for writing about something in the moment that it is happening and not yeah. waiting until 
a year later, totally. which is kind of like another thing that I, I've realized by writing a book about punk that happened, you know, 40 years ago is yeah. that like the things that you write, like as something's happening are going to be way different than the things that you write even five years later because people's memories are not that great. No, and I think, it, yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, before. so, like, it's, I think it's really, like, honestly, like, writing a book about, like, a, like a history book, basically, has, like, really kind of, like, instilled that in me, the sense that, like, you have to ask people about things that are happening as they're happening or they'll forget. And totally. so I think that had a lot to do with, like, my desire to write that piece and kind of um, just say something about it, you know? Like, I'm sure that there will... I hope that there are a lot of other things written about both of those bands by um, people who are not me. Um, But I just kind of felt like it was important to cap 2015 by by having kind of, like, that time capsule of that that piece or something. Um, But, um, yeah, I, I think that, like... For, for me, um, like I was saying, like when I was a teenager, what, really a pre-teenager, like ages 13, 14, 15, I had, there was this kind of like music scene that I was growing up with um, that was very male dominated. There, I never, you know, I, I never saw like a band with a woman like in playing really, other than mm-hmm. like Straylight Run, who were this like Taking Back Sunday offshoot band that mm-hmm. I loved when I was in ninth grade. Um, um, and I was really into Rilo Kylie too. They, mm-hmm. they were like a huge band for me and still are. Um, but so I think like later in life when I like discovered what feminist punk was, that was kind of it. Like, like that is what made me care about punk again. Yeah. Um, and definitely I was like, this is like what my like heart sounds like honestly like this is this is like the spiritual music of my life like that's this so is it. cool <laughs> it's so and, cool yeah, it's so cool it's like a it's fucking i don't know like i look at what you're talking about right now like you worked you had this life and you worked your way into this position where if you think something matters like you can write about it and and you literally put it to the attention of a mass of people and it's so it's like it's like a superpower like it's so crazy you're like professor x you can like (laughs) like shoot thoughts into people's mind like across the world if they're well i always wonder if people actually read honestly i mean i'm sure (laughs) i'm always just like do people actually read uh hopefully because like i you know i read and the people i'm surrounded by do but yeah i don't know i mean i i mean i don't know it's also one of those things that like if 10 people read it like they're the ones that mm. deserve this information you know because you sat down and like decided mm. to jump into it mm. that's so cool though i have been i, I feel like uh uh i i the past couple of years i've written about like I, i'm writing a book about the raincoats i did that like punk piece um but like i've always been interested in like all music and i know most uh, most music critics and most fans and say that but i've really like always been into everything yeah, yeah. and um hopefully like the next like couple years i I feel like i'll get to expand right about all of the many things i mean there's like a poster of bob dylan sitting over there you know like i've always been like mostly just into songwriters 
Yeah, totally. That's period. cool. Um, well, I mean, I, I would just want to know, like, again, um, I like to think about people at home, you know, regardless of age that are just like, you know what, like I've wanted to do this for a long time. Like, Oh, Hey, like Steven's talking to a writer today. Like, I want to hear how they did their thing. Mm. Um, how they got to where they are. Cause it's all about, to me, it's all about if someone says one thing that affects somebody else and like kind of steers them on a path to like, go do what they want to do. Uh, that's what matters. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, I think if people did what they wanted to do across the entire world, um, I think people would be like, oh, like a lot happier. And anyways, what would you say? What would you say to someone that's like struggling and, or, or not so much struggling, but like wants to do, wants to be a writer, wants to be a music journalist. Like what are one or two, like really key things that you've learned in your experience that you think could help somebody along their path. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because there are so many different paths to becoming a music journalist. Um, And I had, for sure, a very traditional path. Mm -hmm. Like, I started writing for my local Alt Weekly. I did my high school newspaper. I went to college for journalism. I did a million internships. And then I got a job. That's, like, not how it usually works. I feel like, actually, it's very uncommon to take the traditional route and like it actually pans out (laughs) whereas like now you can there's so many ways that you can become a writer like um I have friends who didn't realize until like a couple years after college that like this was something they could even do and then they Mm -hmm. kind of like transitioned into it but if you do know that like this is something you might be interested in doing I would say like like I said earlier just start writing and write for as many places as you can possibly manage um I did have a blog when I was in college and I feel like blogs were kind of dead but um I'm glad that I did that like it was really embarrassing in a lot of ways but I'm glad that I did it (laughs) because um it was kind of like I always just had this mentality that like this is what I do and I'm going to do it constantly and I think that if you can put just like shape your brain that way where you're like I'm a writer so I'm just gonna write all the time and um also I would say if you're starting out like like I'm really glad that like I I started working at Pitchfork when I was 22 like definitely not a fully formed writer definitely still not yeah you know I'm I I know I still have so much like to do um and like someone hopefully like will get like way better at writing than I am now um but um like there's something to be said for like making all of your like mistakes in places that are very like low profile, you know. Um, uh, so starting out small, <laughs> um, writing for I mean, start a magazine with your friends or something. Yeah. Like start a zine. Like you don't have to call it a zine. You can call it a magazine. <laughs> um, um, do that, like, document what's going around, on, like, around you, just, like, kind of, like, look around, and if there's, like, an interesting story that you see, or if there's something fucked up that you see, like, write about it. Write about it, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that it's important, like, when you're, 
kind of becoming a writer to do it constantly because mm-hmm. you're working through like how to do it basically. Yeah. Uh, but oh, and like on a practical, more practical, just because I'm staring at it like in front of me, um, I think all music writers or all aspiring music writers should have a copy of the Spin Alternative Record Guide, which came out like um, in the '90s and is this like. It's like this mid-90s book of all of the kind of um, people who were writing for Spin at that time, writing about all of the sickest records. And um, it's actually what was the model for Pitchfork. Oh, wow. Did, yeah, I think I think that's that. true. Anyway, but uh, I've had a copy of that book like since I was in college, and it's like my Bible. So yeah, I would say study the Spin Alternative Record Guide. That's awesome. And then also, um, one of my favorite music writers is Ellen Willis, and um, you could get her book out of the Final Deeps, which is like a collection of her writing. That's I think another model of the form, and of course. Um, all of Girl Marcus's books have taught me so much about music writing and um, Rob Sheffield's books. Um, just a couple examples of um, things that I think all aspiring music writers should read. That's great. Um, also, That's awesome. it helps to be... Um, like, I think if you're going to be a music critic, you have to be, like, really... Um, you have to have, like, a voracious appetite for music. Like, I totally. think that the best music writers are, like, really want to hear everything, but then at the same time, like, ha- are discerning and, like, have taste, you know? Totally. <laughs> so I feel like if you can find a way to be, like, so open-minded and, like, be open to the idea of being surprised that you would like something you didn't think you would like, mm-hmm. but at the same time also having, like, a specialty... <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I feel like that's, like, one of the most exciting things to me about being a music writer is, like, when you like something that you completely wouldn't expect to like. Yeah, that's um, great. It's, like, the coolest feeling. Yeah. Like, this band that I went to see last night at Market Hotel, Pine Grove, um, they're kind of, like, an indie rock band from New Jersey and I think, like, pretty different from most of the music that I listen to. And, like, they, like, blew my mind. That's so <laughs> Or, like, yeah, I don't know. It happens a lot, um, but... That's great. No, that's so great. It's so cool. Like, honestly, I'm so happy you came on here because, like... Thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely. It's 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 just, like, it's all about information, right? That's yeah. what life is about. It's all about knowledge and information. It's all about the, the transforming of information into your own knowledge. And yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I love doing this for and that's why I like have my own podcast and that's why I listen to music that's why I read that's why I do everything because I just want information yeah oh okay here's another tip turn your phone off like most of the time because in order to be like a good writer you have to spend so much time reading yeah and when you turn your phone off you read more that's okay I need to do that dude like I'll I'll be like knee deep in writing a song with my headphones on and then see the glow of my phone and be like, oh yeah, I forgot about something. Yeah, yeah. And then you just like get lost in this whole world. I'm telling Stupid. you, if you just like turn your phone off and put it in your sock drawer or something, like you'll have a better day. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, you'll feel like you were so much more in control of your time and you probably got like a lot more reading done and a lot more writing done. And you just like spent more time inside of your own head. And maybe you have like some idea that you didn't have when you woke up. 
And, like, I don't think technology is, like, evil or anything. Like, I totally am, like, into Instagram and whatever. Yeah. But, like, but I feel like it helps to, to have good practices in terms of, like, you know, knowing that in order to, like, focus on reading, you should probably turn your phone off. It's it's definitely, like, the easiest distraction. Yeah. Like, and it's, and, and it's, the, it's the biggest, most endless distraction in our pockets at all times. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, yeah, I feel like as time goes on, I, I realize that I need to, like, really, like, like, I turned my phone off, sorry, we're, like, trying to end the podcast. Oh, no, it's turned, it's all good. <laughs> I turned my phone off for a week in, uh, May or June or something, and was just, like, you know, really astounded by, like, how it impacted me. It made me feel so much better, because I felt like I was really in control of my time, Whereas usually I am, but, but there's no denying that we like always time on our phones. So after that, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a flip phone and I'm going to spend so much more time reading. And I really think that if I got a flip phone, I probably would just like factually spend more time. Like, I agree. I've thought that same thought many times. I met someone in LA that was like, yeah, dude, he had a flip phone and he was just Uh like, yeah, I just realized I didn't need all that shit. And I was just like, fuck. That's so true, dude. That's so true. It's just kind of like I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. Well, honestly, thank you so much for coming on here. I'm so excited to put this information out because I usually go... I mean, again, it's like the it's like the other side of my world, you know, at least, at least mine. Then that's mm-hmm. how I view it. And I'm, I'm super excited. I learned some stuff today that I, I had no idea about. Sick. And yeah, I think it's great. I, I would love to tackle like all sides of, of this... I think art in general is wonderful. I've said this before. It's the act of creating something where there wasn't something before. And that is like one of the few things that are like pure and genuine today. Yeah. And you not only are you are you helping get art out into the world to people that may not have seen or heard it before but you are doing that exact act you're creating these like wonderful pieces out of nothing honestly like that was when I was little or when I was kind of in middle school and getting into writing I felt I feel like that was a lot of it like um a lot of my friend most of my friends were musicians but I was like well I want to create something but I don't even need an instrument like to me it was like more direct to just use words absolutely and that was I remember having that exact thought when I was like in ninth or tenth grade where I was like all my friends were in bands and like it was sick I've always been friends with musicians (laughs) and um uh but I felt like writing is like so much more of a direct way of expressing myself because I don't need anything other than like the words that are in my head and like you know pen and paper and computer or whatever yeah there's Um, no filter there's no filter and it's and especially for me when I'm typing because I type way faster than I write it's just like literally just pure information from your brain into the world and it exists and it's so cool crazy yeah here we are yeah it's great well dude thank you so much for coming on here i think it's so cool i think like your life is so fucking interesting and i think it's like a cool power to have to like decide what you think is important and like present it to people because you're not forcing things on anybody you're just presenting it and you're presenting it in this like well-trained like really nice package that's like really well done (laughs) and i think that's really cool 
So thank you so much for coming on here. That's fucking awesome. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right, that was Jen Pelly, and what a fucking interesting human being. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening. I apologize for all the likes. Again, it's a little nerve-wracking interviewing someone that interviews people for a living, but I think it went well. We're getting better and better out here. As for producers, today we got Dee Harrison from Miliwakay, and we got Nate Berger from Sacramento, the beautiful Nate. Love you. Um, so thank you guys so much. Uh, very funny fact, this podcast came to you from New York, Portland, L.A., and Tucson. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to leave you with a brand-new field agent song called Nothing Is Real. I will see you guys in two weeks. Peace.